Thanks for checking in on this podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational teaching from Caris Ministries. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, please take a moment and write to us at amenatcaris.org. We are always inspired and blessed to hear how God is blessing people all over the world through what he is doing here at Caris. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at caris.org so we can continue making podcasts such as this available free of charge. Acts chapter 1. Alright, let's read from verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Let's all say the promise of the Father. Promise say it again. The promise so what did he say they should wait for? The what did he say they should wait for? The promise, the promise of the Father. Alright. So he said they should wait, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, verse 12. When they had returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So uh, when you look at the, the story here, this is just before Jesus ascended and when he ascended into heaven. So this is after the resurrection. And this particular account is really centered around 40 days after his resurrection, what we have just read. Okay, so when he resurrected, he showed himself alive to many, uh, to many people with infallible proofs. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, he says that, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, he was with them for 40 days after his resurrection. Right? He saw, they walked with him, they ate with him. He taught them so many things after the 40 days of resurrection. So after 40 days of resurrection, he 
assembled with them. He told them what is about to happen. He says that, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise, the promise of the Father. All right. And they asked him a political question. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because Israel at that time was under um, Roman rule, and which was a very oppressive rule. They were under the occupation. So they were waiting for the day when the Messiah would come and release them from the occupation. So the Jews expected the Messiah to bring, restore the kingdom of David. All right, that's why he said the Messiah is going to be of a seed of David, who was going to restore the... Well, in, the in David's time, Israel was not under any rule, any nation. No kingdom, no other nation could over, overcome Israel. David was the perfect king of Israel in, the, in, in his days. So the Israelites were expecting the Messiah, who is going to be the seed of David, who is going to sit on the throne of David, who is going to bring them the relief from Roman rule. So when Jesus came and the disciples knew, Jesus asked them, who do men say I am? In Matthew chapter 16, he asked them, who do men say I am? And they said, you are the son of the living. Peter said, you are the, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Bible says that from then on, he began to explain to them the things of the kingdom. So they knew, they followed him. They knew he was the Messiah. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel was the one who was told that we have found Jesus, whom the prophet spoke about in John chapter 1, verse 41, 42. He said, can any good thing come out from Nazareth? They were, because they were all expecting the Messiah. Say the Messiah. Yes. And now the Messiah comes and he's about to go. He's dead. He died. Their holes were shattered. They locked themselves in the room. They were afraid. That's why when, right after Peter said that you are the son of the living God, Bible said Jesus began to explain how in Matthew chapter 16 from verse 23 downwards, Bible said he began to explain to them how the son of God must go to Jerusalem and he must be arrested by the Jews and be put to death. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, 24. Peter began to rebuke him. He said, that this cannot happen because you are supposed to be the Messiah. The Messiah is not supposed to die. All right. The Messiah is supposed to live long. He's supposed to. And Peter began to rebuke him. This is not the kind of Messiah we are expecting. You are the Messiah. Why do you have to go and die? No, the Messiah must not die. The Messiah must. So that is why it's absurd to preach the cross because you are preaching a crucified conqueror, a murdered Messiah. That's not the kind of Messiah the Jews were looking for. They are looking for a Messiah who will not die, who will establish the kingdom once and for all. And so there Jesus can say, going, Peter said, you can't go and die. He started rebuking, giving him a slap on the ribs. You can't say that on the wrist, sorry. You can't say that. And then Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. You are going, trying to change my message, trying to change my assignment, trying to change the call of God on my life, the ministry God has given me. You are trying to change it to make it a political issue. So now when he died and he resurrected, they were happy. Now the man is arisen, has arisen, and he's alive. He, he can't kill him anymore. He appeared in the room. He began to show them things. Then he says that, I'm about to go. Tarry in Jerusalem. Don't move until you, you receive this promise of the Father. After he said that to them, they should have said, thank you, Lord, hallelujah. And then, but they asked him, <laughs> verse 5 and 6, yeah, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? You see that? They, they had a, you see, it, it was the public mood of the day. It's a political issue. How politics influence the normal mood of the day. And if you don't take care and you begin to sing the song of politics, you begin to go with the public mood, you can miss God. Because everyone was crying for redemption. Everyone was crying for redeemer. Everyone was crying for the liberator. The Messiah will come and liberate them. Now the Messiah comes, dies, resurrects, really proved that he's the Messiah. And he said, I'm going, go. So they said, at what 
when are you going to restore? What time will you restore? But it's interesting the answer he gave them. He said that it's not in your power to know. All right. He said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. That means that there's coming a time of restoration for Israel. But this is not. He said, you, what you need is the Holy Ghost power. So he said, then he went on to say that, verse 8. He said that, but you shall receive power. Someone say power. power. Say power. Power. Power is not what matters. So he said, receive power. So then, after he explained these things to them, before their eyes, they saw him going up to heaven. So as they watched him go, suddenly two angels stood by them in white. What you wear matters. In white <laughs> garments. <laughs> And he, they said, men of Galilee, don't be worried. This man you see going, you come back the same way. So then they traveled back to Jerusalem. And it's popularly believed that they stayed in the upper room. Bible says they went to the upper room. But actually, there were 120 people. The upper room was too small to contain them. So um, they went. All right, I'll explain a bit more. Look at now verse 15. Are you following the, the story so far? In, in, in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. This man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. <laughs> Hallelujah. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those who dwell in Jerusalem so that the field is called Akel Dama, which is filled of blood. For it is written, let his dwelling place be desolate and let another live in it. Now, Peter, very interesting. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Peter stood up and he said that the scriptures must be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Holy Spirit through the, the mouth of David. All right. And Peter quoted Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. He quoted that Judas was one of us, but it has been already written, prophesied, that one of his disciples was going to betray him. He's going to lose his place. And how many of you know he was paid for that? Be careful when you're looking for money. But one thing I discovered about church leadership is God will always give you opportunity to correct your heart. Some of you departmental leaders, there are certain members of your department, you, you knew a long time ago that they will leave your department. Because you saw the traces a long time. The traces will always be there. Disloyalty shows up a long time before it manifests. When you're a church leader, you, you see people. And sometimes you always want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes you leave people and hope that they will change. God gives them big rope to change. But it's human. There are some people, the condition of their hearts cannot change. Can you imagine? He walked with Jesus. 
saw all the miracles. And watch this. When he was walking with Jesus, he was still stealing the money. Bible said he was, do you know what he was doing? Because this, the guy was political. When you check history, he actually, he was the only one who came from the north. Judas, Judas, Judas was kind of different from them. And he, 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 he had a strong political agenda. He came from family that were political in inclination. So when he was following Jesus, he had a political agenda. He knew that one day the power of Rome was going to be broken and Israel was going to be free and you'll be free to own lands. So he was stealing money, and that was when down payment started a long time in Judas. <laughs> Theologians believe that one, either he was saving money towards the purchase of a land, which he has already gone to register and buying the land, or he was making down payment because he was stealing and making down payment. So when it was time for Jesus to die and he had to betray him, he needed the final payment. To clear the debt so that by the time the kingdom is restored to Israel, he's got his land in the prime location. <laughs> time, when you read, read Luke, time will not permit me to go too much. But when you read Luke, Bible says that when they gave him the money, what we just read, look at verse 16, Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Men and brethren. The Holy Spirit will, all right, go, verse 17, look at verse 17. For it was not meant with us, okay. Now the man, that's it, verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. When you read Luke, very carefully, account of Luke, when you read it, Judas rejected the money. When he saw Jesus had been crucified, he gave the money back to the high priest and his cohorts. He gave the money. So he didn't use the money to buy, but he said he purchased a field with the money. Because he was doing down payments. The high priest and his cause said, we don't like the money. Matthew chapter 27, verse, verse 7. He said, this is money of blood. Matthew 27, verse 7. They took the money to buy the finished paying the, and they consented together and bought with them the money, the potter's field to bury strangers. So they bought that land. Judas was already working on the process. And that is the, the land he went and he hanged himself on. So the land is an up to now. When you go to Jerusalem, that land is there. Nothing is built. It's an accursed land. He betrayed his boss. Disloyalty. When you read the Bible very carefully, in, throughout the scriptures, any disloyal person always will lose his head. Disloyal people cost a lot. But God always, I can't wait for second service, the God of Abraham, I'll be talking about Canaan land. God always works in the little details, which may look normal to men. Judas, oh, Bible said he was numbered with us. He was numbered, I'm talking about Pentecost. So, they went and Peter said, now, watch, this is a very interesting thing you have to discover from here. Peter said, you all know the story about Judas, but David said that let another one take his place. Let's go back to the text. 
Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let another live in it. All right? And then he quoted again, let another take his office. So his office, Judas had an office with the 12. But because of what he did, he lost his place. And when you read the Bible, the Bible talks about the 11, the 11, the 11, the 11, the 11. So after Jesus was betrayed, the Bible started talking about the 11 went back to pray. The 11 were together. The 11, the 11. They were together in one place when Jesus showed up after the resurrection. So, but they were supposed to be 12. So it had been prophesied already by David in the book of Psalms that let someone take his office. Are you getting this? Why his office? Because it's very... Therefore... Of these men who had accompanied us all the times that Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, who? They wanted one person because it must be 12. Very important. I'm going to explain why it must be 12. It must be 12. And they were 11. And so... They had to, one, based on prophecy. Isn't it interesting? Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 24, I think verse 30, 31, he, he, he began to explain things. When they ate the communion, their eyes were open. Verse 31, Luke chapter 4, their eyes were open. And uh, verse, uh, verse, verse 32, 33, Bible says that, and, and they, uh, they said to one, and didn't our hearts burn with us and whatever. And while he opened the scriptures to us, Jesus opened the scriptures with, to, to them. From that day onwards, they saw the scriptures differently. They began to understand. No wonder Peter, after his resurrection, the Bible says that after his resurrection, the disciples remembered it was written during his death. A lot of things began coming alive. But when he opened the scriptures to them, the Bible says that did our hearts not burn with, uh, within us? Because he began to explain he made them understand. He made them, he made them get insight into the scripture. Now, so Peter now was referring to scriptures that David said, one of us will be a betrayer and let another one take his place. And do you know how they found the one who, they, had, they needed a qualification. You can't just get up and fill the place. You must, the qualification for being part of the 12 was number one, he must, you must have been with them from the time of John the Baptist and all throughout Jesus' ministry. So that tells you that there were other people with Jesus who were not part of the 12. The 12 were chosen special. The Bible said he chose the 12 because the 12 was for a particular assignment. So he says that who has been with us all along when Jesus was around, from the Baptist to the time he was taken, they were all there. So that's the qualification. And so two people qualified. All right, what are the names? Go look into your Bible. Matthias and who? Joseph called Basabas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. So it's Basabas Justice. That's a nice one. Basabas Justice took the place. All right. And so what did they do? Look at verse 24. What did they do? And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the heart of all. This is a serious prayer. This is a serious prayer for church involvement. Serious prayer that every church leader must be praying. So listen, when you see someone doing something in church, don't be quick to say, this one has been here in long enough. He should have been the one to be. It's not about how long you have been. God doesn't work with people based on their age. 
Elizabeth would have gotten pregnant with Jesus, not Mary. So stop saying this person has been long enough. Now that's why they using all this young, young, young one. Why and then go and ask something, even something. It took a child to help him to find his way forward. So God has. That's why we told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Timothy was a very young man. Hallelujah. So stop. He said, God, you who know the hearts of that, that is the man of the most difficult aspect of church appointment. You have to be sensitive as a leader. You have to be sensitive. You know what? There are some people when you, let's say, okay, so this, this is a very old time leader. He's been around and this is a young leader who's a kid on the block. And then this one is appointed to do something. Sometimes the old ones, they are called elder brother spirit. That's what they did to Joseph. The elder brother spirit will be waiting. Let's see, let's see, you'll be leading and then you fail. Then he says, ah, you know, as far as we are always here, you know, we knew. <laughs> So as, as, a, as a, a leader of a church, sometimes when you, by your spirit, by the dictates of spirit, you are, you are empowering some people based on the dictates of God. People who are political, human beings are natural like that. It takes, you see, in, you have to be intentional and work with the spirit. Rather than that, you slip into the flesh, natural. Second service is going to be interesting. You slip into the flesh. All right, so, so sometimes people are empowered and they are doing one thing. And you, the leader, know. There are others who are waiting for them to fail. Political people like that do not recognize the witness. If they are sensitive, their ministry is bearing with their spirits. That's not important for them. It's their mind. Since when did you come? Suddenly you are not a minister. You are a pastor. No, you, are, you, are, you are always singing and leading. You have joined the praise team. We have been here a long time. You know. But they pray. They God, God, you know the heart of men. One of the things you should be praying for your pastor about, and if you are watching us, one of the things you should be praying for your pastor, your pastors about, is that God lead them in the who they appoint and who they choose, so that they won't do by the flesh. Mm-hmm. Prophet Samuel came with a jar of oil, a very big horn. He was coming to anoint the wrong person, but the one looks formidable. God said, "No, no." First Samuel chapter sixty, verse seven or so, he says that for men judge from the outside. But man, God does not judge from the God does not look at but God says to someone, do not look at his appearance and at his physical stature because he has refused him. For God does not see as men see. For man looks on the outs. What appears so when you are going for interview, bear that in mind. Men look at the outward, though. Brother, men look at the outward. So when you are going for interview, since God is not the one hiring you as to say. Brush your teeth, do your hair nice, and then go and make sure that they see you, they, they, they feel that. Because men look on the outside. Don't say what I wear doesn't matter. It, it is, it's small, but it doesn't matter. Even when I sit and cross my leg, everything is, it doesn't matter because my heart is clean. Men look at the outside. They are all looking at the <laughs> I came to worship God, not, not men. Hey! Second service is going to be an interesting one. Let's look at the prayer again. In Acts chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Hmm. Hallelujah. And uh, um, so they prayed. All right. Verse 
Um, and they prayed, verse 24, and they prayed, you Lord who knows the heart of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Look at this. To, to take the place, the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. He might go to his own place. All right, now watch verse 26. And that's interesting. They cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was not met. And he was not met well, with the, you see, 11, 11. He was not met with the 11 apostles. Matthias. How did they choose Matthias? The two of them because you, I'm going to meet the queen and you want to choose someone who has a shoe similar to mine. Both of them qualify. So Matthias and Justice were all qualified. So now we needed something to distinguish them. So God, this man is pastor enough. This one is pastor enough. This is a decent man of God. This is a decent man of God. So which one? God, you have to choose. So they prayed, and as trivial as it may seem, they cast lots. The closest to democracy of voting the Bible comes to was the lot. And that is even no voting. God has never been democratic. Majority carries the vote. So like, okay, now in this church, by God's grace, we are growing. And so we need to choose uh, one of the choristers or ushers or ministers to be a pastor. Then let's vote. Everyone should bring his name and then like the candidates should campaign. And then we vote as a church. I mean, God doesn't do voting. Can you imagine? It's, the church is a family, okay? So can you imagine your family, okay? A family, a family of two adults, mother and father, and three children. And you have to vote on what you eat every evening. You end up eating ice cream every day. <laughs> because majority will carry the vote. You'll just be eating ice creams and ice creams and ice creams and ice cream and sweets and chocolates and... <laughs> but you can't entrust the destinies of people into the hands of just voters when it comes to the work of God. I am not saying voting and democracy is not right. I'm saying that it's not part of the church. The church doesn't operate by that. The closest you come to it is casting of lots. And casting of lots is not voting. It's like when you're going to play football. The referee takes the coin. It's only, it tosses the coins. It's the head or the tail. That's all. So they, it's not majority carrying the vote. It's just head or tail. They, they threw it, and then where it fell, in, and the, the lot fell on Matthias. The same way, the way they, 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 they did it every now and then. They will cast lots, and then who the lot falls on is that, like when the Jonah, Basabas was also qualified. But why did they need to choose someone to take the office? Because I'm talking about Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the power of Pentecost, Pentecost, the birth of the church. And in, a, in, a, in Ephesians, the, see, watch this. Ephesians is the portrait of heaven concerning the church. What do I mean? Ephesians, Ephesians gives you God's perspective about what the church is supposed to be. So Ephesians is more about God defining the church, describing the church, describing how the church should be, what should be in the church. So it's the description of the church or explanation of the church from top down. Whilst other books describe the church from amongst men, which is okay. But Ephesians is purely from heaven's perspective what the church should be. And in Ephesians, Ephesians gives quite a few portraits about the church. When I say portrait, so he uses some um, symbolism to reflect the church. One of the, not symbolism, one of the things that portraits the Ephesians, Ephesians gives about the church is that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 
21, 22, 23, it talks about how Christ, uh, the, the, power of, uh, the power raised, resurrected Christ from the dead, and sat him far above principalities and powers, all right, and uh, um, uh, above principalities and powers and everything that is them, and gave, verse 22, and 20, go to verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Look at verse 23. The church, which is what? Which is what? So what is the church? Whose body? So the church is the body of Christ. That's, is, that, is that okay? The church is the body. Say a body. Now, it's not only that. In chapter 2, verse 20 again. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It, okay, let's go to verse 19. It makes sense. Let, let's read it. So, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right? So we are members of the household of God, go to the next verse, look at what verse 20 says that, having been built on the foundation of the what? We are being built, okay, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So the apostles and the prophets are the foundations of the church. So they needed to get the foundation right. They needed, it need, when you read Revelation, talk about 12 foundations, it needed to be 12. So they had to get the one to take the place of Judas. Because in order to be true, the church is built. If the church is a building, the church is a body. When you talk about building, it's an architectural language. The church is being built. You can't have, if there's any building without foundation, can't stand. So built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. I've always told you, the chief cornerstone. What's the cornerstone? A stone in the corner. Yeah, that's what it is. There's a stone in the corner, and it holds two, two walls together. Two, say two walls. Whoa. Say two walls. Whoa. I like it. Say two walls. Two walls. A cornerstone is a stone in a corner that holds two walls together. Say two walls. Two walls. There have always been two, so long as God is concerned. So, and God looking at humanity. Humanity, there have always been two categories of people. So when you read Ephesians, it talks about how he made the two one. Talking about Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, I like, verse, 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 verse 14, 15, 16, and I like that. Verse 14 talks about how for he himself is at peace, who has made both, you see, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There was something that divided Jews and Gentiles. Bible says that he has broken it down and made both one. Go to verse 15. Having abolished... In his flesh, the laws of commandment, that means that that's the laws of commandment continuing on, so that creates in himself one new man from what? From what? From the two. Making, so he, he, he always brought the, he brought the two together, Jews and Gentiles. He brought us together in Christ. Don't forget that. I'm leading this to some, something. He brought us together in Christ. Look at verse, verse 16. And that we might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So he reconciled both of us, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, to reconcile together to God in the church. So in the church, racial discrimination doesn't matter. In the church, social discriminations don't work. In the true church, the church is gloriously heterogeneous. In other words, different, different parts, but we are all one. 
We, 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 we are beautiful, one. That's why I said there's no female, there's no male, there's no slave. Your social standing doesn't matter. Whether, whether you are American citizen, you are Chinese citizen, you are British citizen, or you are Kuwaiti citizen, it doesn't matter. In the church, we are all one. All kinds of human limitations and barriers have been broken. Shout hallelujah. Whether, whether, whether you hold a PhD or you are an illiterate, it doesn't matter. Once we come to church, don't, don't expect to be treated based on your degree. Don't expect to be treated. You are not better than anybody when it comes to God. We are all one. Shout yes. yes. So he said he made the two one, reconciling us both to the Father. The church is the body and the church is the building. But very interesting thing I discovered about, I discovered about the church is that the church is a growing building, a building that grows. Have you seen a, good, a building that grows? Building, a growing building. Now, what are, what, 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 a common, common characteristic of a building, or what is very common about buildings and body? Body is always, a building is inhabited by a person. All right? And a body is also inhabited by a person. That's why when someone dies, it's gone. It's gone where? He's lying there. He's, no, he's gone. Right? That, that's not him. He's gone. Right? Because someone lives in the body. The church being the body of Christ, who lives in us? Christ. Not you. I can't wait for a second. It's not you alone. You alone don't matter. It's all of us. He's coming for us. He's not coming for you. He's coming for an us. <laughs> all right, let, let, me, let me say. So, and then the building. We are, watch this. So we are a building and we are a body. And to have a building, you must have the foundation right. So in Acts chapter 1, they got the foundation right. Towards the end, they made sure that Judah's place has been taken so that the foundation was ready for the building to take off. And then in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Bible says that, and when the day of, ah, when the day of Pentecost, say Pentecost, say Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And something happened. Bible says that, and suddenly there came a sound. Say a sound. Say a sound. Where did it come from? Heaven. Say a sound. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Where did it fill? The house. Where you find yourself matters. So. Where you find yourself matters. Where you find yourself matters. The Bible says that they are in one place. The Bible says the spirit or the, the sound came, filled the place where they were standing, where they were. Where they were. Don't say where you are doesn't matter. It matters. Where you, where you go, the environment you find yourself in determines what grows in you. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I've made up my mind. Now in my house, in my car, everywhere I go, there must be a certain constant environment I have to create. Because the environment determines what grows in me. Because we, we have been created to feed on our environment. Pentacles, Pentacles, Pentacles is also pent. Okay, it comes from the, the Greek. Pentacles is, means that five, so 50. God told them in the Old Testament that the, after the Passover, all right, seven weeks after the Passover, so 49 days plus one. So the, the day of the Passover, the second day after the Passover, I started counting. So seven weeks after the Passover, which is 50 days after the Passover. Jesus died at the, at, on Passover, resurrected after the resurrection. He stayed with them for 40 days. So after he left, they went to Jerusalem. They were there in, in the temple praying regularly. And that, was, that took 10 days. So on the 10th day, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost matters. On the day of Pentecost, something happened because a baby was about to be born called the church. A body was about to be born. 
The day of Pentecost was the day the church was born. The day the body was born. But we needed to get the foundation together first. So they had to replace um, Judas with Matthias, get everything in order. They were in prayer. And suddenly, Bible says, suddenly they came. Now, the reason why I told you the two, remember I said the two becoming one. But in Pentecost, another name for Pentecost is the, the Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of Harvest. It's usually towards the harvest. So normally when the uh, um, wheat harvest has come, the first part, the first fruits, is interesting. I can't take it because of my time. You, Israel, they had to take, make two loaves of bread. Say two. Make two loaves of bread with yeast because all the loaves they used to sacrifice, every loaf they present and the ones they, was without yeast. But this time they said, God told them, make the loaf with yeast for Pentecost. So the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, the loaf they made had yeast. And what yeast in the Bible stands for sin? And the day of Pentecost, on the time of Pentecost, the bread they used, they were used the two loaves they used had yeast inside. The two represents the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together in one celebration. All right? And what does the yeast stand for? Yeast is sin. But why sin? Trying to say that the church is made up of saints with sin. Saints with sin. Because the day of Pentecost, watch this. The day of Pentecost was the day the church was born. Why am I teaching this? Because this week, this Sunday, this weekend is the Pentecost weekend. <laughs> so I feel let me just take this time to teach something on Pentecost. And so they had to bring, bring it and sacrifice or bring it to the altar. It's, it's a feast. It's a feast of the, the, the birth of the church. And so everything that was done in the Old Testament was foreshadowing what is going to happen in the New Testament. You can't actually understand the New Testament properly if you ignore the Old Testament. The Old Testament throws a bit more light on, on the details, gives the details to how things are supposed to be in the New Testament. The New Testament just gives an explanation of how things were done in the Old Testament. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, something happened. There was wind. Say wind. wind. Say wind. Wind comes to blow away anything that is not supposed to be there. Sometimes you can't tell where the wind is going. Not sometimes. You always, Jesus said, the wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know. Wind, you, you can't define the directions of the wind. It will go, um, one moment it's going this side. Another time it's going this moment. It's going this direction. And that's, that's the nature of a wind. In the same way, when, we come, when the church is born, when we come to church, we must understand it's a revival time. And you have to just plug with the spirit. And don't go with your old existing ideologies. Plug with the spirit. Make sure that try, trying to get your antennas up. Some of you have come to church this morning and God is trying to tell you something. But if you don't take care, you'll be stuck in your old ways of thinking. Oh, maybe, maybe it's not me. Uh, you, you can tell something. God is trying to inject something. God is going to, is trying to give you some signs. Right from the worship, a song that was sung. Right from the worship, a statement that was made. Right from the prayer. Right, right, right on your way back uh, to church. God is moving something. See, because God works in the details. Uh, something as trivial as casting of lots. God used that to replace somebody, uh, to, to appoint somebody to a very major important office. Yeah. As simple as casting of lots, God works in the final deeds. Some little ones that you do, little things that you don't think God will use. God is using several things to speak to you. So it's the wind. And then when the wind came, Bible says that, every, uh, let me just leave everything and leave there. The fire, fire sat on every one of them. In the, in the Bible, fire represents, represents two things. Fire is used for purging, for cleansing, to burn away the dross and the chaff. And then number two, fire also represents passion. Passion. 
The church is supposed to be a place of passion. The church is supposed to be. That is why we can't we can say it's not necessary to preach about consecration. We have to. We have to. The closer you get to God, the more. Someone put on Facebook, I like the way uh, uh, one of the pastors put on Facebook about how well, sometimes you go to church and a word is coming, you can tell that this one is really dealing with you. That's what the word of God does. People come to church and say, someone went to tell the pastor something. Uh, he knows something about me. He's preaching because of me. Who else should he preach because of? All right. You are here now. So, you, you. <laughs> but, but God wants to address you. He will, oh, ah, he will talk about things that are relevant to your life. Hallelujah. So something is being purged from your life. Something is being cleared. The fire of the Holy Ghost cleanses. The fire of the Holy Ghost. I don't see a church. If there's a, a, see, for us to be the church and fulfill what the church is meant to fulfill, there must be fire in our hearts. Any fire quenching personality, attitude, and system that come around you, you have to watch it because it will cost you. It will cost you. Anything that will quench your Holy Ghost fire, stay away from it. Doesn't matter how nice it is for you, stay away from it because it will affect you. Bible says, quench not the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, in Acts, he says that you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He's coming with fire to baptize us. And we set out when people see us, they can tell these are people who love Jesus. These are people who are passionate about Jesus. We are bold. We are happy about our Bibles. We are happy about Jesus. I don't care. You may look at me funny because I'm going to church. I feel sorry for you because if you don't go to church, you are a very sorry person. Yeah. And for that matter, the right church. Shout hallelujah. Bible says that and they start to speak in tongues and every watch this I like this and everyone in the in the city those who heard they would hear them and they came and they could hear their own languages being spoken when the Holy Ghost came don't tell me watch this don't tell me the church must try to change to, to fit in the society to be relevant our relevance is when the Holy Ghost comes. the world will listen to us our relevance it has to has to do with the Holy Ghost because we'll try to be like everybody and yet that's where people even don't value us. You lose your cutting you, you lose your fineness. I like the way Mike Medock puts it. He says that your significance is at the point of your difference. Where you are similar to others, it doesn't make you any significant. But your significance is at the point of your difference. The church, what makes the church different is the Holy Ghost. That's why we celebrate Pentecost. When, that's when the church was born. That's when the Holy Ghost came. And the Bible says that the people around started talking about it. They said, what's going on? Some said they are drunk. And they said, no, they are not drunk. This is a mighty thing. They said, great things are happening in our eyes today. And the Bible said, Peter stood up and began to address. 3,000 people were convicted that day. He addressed them with that microphone. Because the Holy Ghost was on fire. Their hearts were on fire for the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that makes the church relevant. So if we want to be relevant, number one, we have to concentrate on making sure we host his presence. We host the Holy Spirit. Genuinely, not just by cliche, hosting his presence. No, hosting by our actions. Hosting by our pursuits. Hosting by our activities. Hosting by the things we focus on. That will create the room for us to host him. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. I prophesy over your life. 
that anything that will disqualify you or dis, that, that will disallow you from being a partaker of the move of God, I pray that that thing stays away from your life. I pray over your life that heaven remains open for you. That you shall receive the promise, the promise, which is the Holy Ghost. The promise is the Holy Ghost. The promise is the Holy Ghost. The promise of the Father is the Holy Ghost. It will take care of all political challenges. The promise of the Father is the Holy Ghost. If you are not saved, you are not safe because life is dangerous. Life is not under your command. I don't see why I should end this service without giving you an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, pastor, pray with me because I want to have this bread. It means I want to put all my confidence in him, all my hope in him. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that is your genuine desire, just lift up your hand and say this after me. Say it genuinely from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I ask you, to forgive my sins. Wash me with your blood. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross to save me. From today, I will serve you. I believe in you. I put all my hope in you. I put my faith in you as my Lord and personal Savior. I receive you into my life. I make a vow with you that I will serve you all the days of my life. Satan, get behind me. I don't belong to you. I belong to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. Your word says that you know your sheep and your sheep know your voice. No one can come to you except your father brings him. I pray that let your grace be upon them. Help them to be strong. I pray that the grace of God will come upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and help you to be a strong Christian. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please visit caris.org or call us on 0207-740-9960. God bless you.